You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Second Kings will be in chapter 3 in just a moment. Let me review for you where we've been, give you a glimpse of where we're going. We started chapter 2 a couple weeks ago. And in the story of chapter 2, we found that God's power still reaches us. There was a time of Israel of great uncertainty. Elijah was leaving. He was the lion. He was the old defender. And now he was leaving. And the message that God gave to his remnant people is the same message for us today, that there is one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Great is his faithfulness. He does not change. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. And the same God that we serve is static. He still saves. He still sanctifies. He is not just a historical God. He is a contemporary God. God's power still reaches us today, and we thank God for it this morning. The second thing we talked about from chapter 2 was that God's judgment still frightens us. The story at the end of chapter 2 is terrible. It's shocking. And it's meant to be that way. It's meant to grab our attention and understand that there is a God in heaven that we are not to trifle with. It shocks us. Reminding us that God's curse will find those that hate him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I would never say I hate God. And maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you have. I don't know. But to live a life as if he doesn't exist is to wish He never did live to wish that he was dead. We are rebels by nature. We are rebels by choice. But God's judgment should still frighten us this morning. And then this morning, I just want to touch base on what I missed last week. And I think it will propel us into where we're going this morning. So take your Bibles and look at 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're just going to read 15 through 18. And then we'll jump to chapter 3 in just a moment. The point that we're making this morning is that God's wisdom still settles us. Chapter 2, verse number 15. And when the sons of the prophets, which were in to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You should not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men. They sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? Here is Elijah. He is God's anointed prophet. He speaks the word of God, whether it's for harm to those who disobey or for healing to those who repent. Uh, The word of God can present either disaster or deliverance, judgment or grace, Warning or wisdom. And here are the sons of the prophet, 
They are 50 men who watch this whole thing go down. They watch the two of them, Elijah and Elijah, cross the Jordan. The waters parted. Then they see that only Elijah comes back. And when they see how he comes back across the river, they're convinced that the power of God is on him, and they submit to him. You're the man. You are doing exactly what Elijah just did. And yet, they don't submit to him. These 50 men relentlessly say, hey, let us go and search for Elijah. Maybe the Spirit grabbed him and dumped him someplace, and we need to find out. And finally, he is so embarrassed by them asking to search, he says, go ahead. Go ahead. We've just had the opportunity to um, move out to a rural spot out in Dresden. And, and before this move, I thought about cats in a different way. I always knew they tasted like chicken, but I did not. No, come on. I wouldn't do that. Um, sorry, it just came out. But I didn't realize how valuable they were to keep mice down. The truth is, you want to see cats if you're by farm fields, right? And so, I don't know what's been happening to me lately, but the other day I was outside, and I was out by the back of the property, and the barn was open, and there was a cat, a big cat out there. And I ran into the house and said, Kim, there's a cat here. Come on out, bring some food. There's a cat here. And then the weirdest thing happened. I don't know why it happened, but then I start hearing myself say this. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. It was bizarre. I almost had like an out-of-body experience, like, who are you? I think about these 50 men who say they submit to the power of God when they watch Elisha's life. And yet when he says something to them, they say, no, 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 no. There's 50 of us. We're strong guys. Let us go search for Elijah. I just wonder if they're going, here, Elijah, Elijah. Come here. What, what are you doing to look for him? Where did the Lord dump him? Where did he show up? It's sheer foolishness when you think about it. But how often, those of us who know Christ, we certainly submit to the power of God to save us. The truth is, sometimes I think about salvation, my salvation, and it amazes me. It simply amazes me that God would choose to save me because I know me. And we stand in awe and wonder of the power to save, but many times we do not stand in wonder or even submit to the wisdom of his word. And the very word that saves us is the very word that we don't trust. Psalm 119, 105, you know this. Many of you have learned this verse as children in Sunday school. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we must listen to the wisdom of the word of God and we must live in that wisdom. I'm talking this morning now to believers in Christ. Listen to me. We, collectively, do the dumbest things in the world. I'm talking to Christians. 
we do the dumbest things in the world, and then we are shocked that it didn't turn out the way we thought it would. Correct? Right? We have hands being raised. I guess they're unholy hands. Raising, saying, that's me. I've done this. This is me. I've been there. I was reading a story this last week, and uh, it was a true story. A couple thieves decided to hijack a car, and the car had one of those anti-theft devices, like we used to call them the club. Remember the club? They still sell the club? I don't know. But anyways, it's one that you, you lock your steering wheel up. So these two thieves broke into the car, and they, to steal the car, they removed the steering wheel. And they drove away, steering the car with a pair of pliers, which really worked well until a high-speed chase ensued with the police department. And the police don't know exactly what happened, but when they came to an intersection, as the cop car came around the intersection, one of the thieves were thrown out of the car. The other thief sustained numerous injuries because you cannot turn around an intersection going 90 miles an hour with a pair of pliers. Now, this morning, I am not suggesting that you steal a car. But if you do, you should have a steering wheel. Otherwise, it is just criminal and stupid. Yes? So, why is it that we try to live our life without a steering wheel? And we're using pliers to make decisions. When God has already laid out for us his plan, his purpose, and his way. Too many of us, as believers, are living like Christmas morning. Okay? When I was younger, uh, you know, becoming a man, being married, I remember our first Christmas back home from Europe, and, and we got a barbecue grill. So there's a big box, and I, I, I said to Kim, listen, I'm going to put this thing together. And as a man, I don't need instruction. Now listen, you might be good at that. For me, that's really dangerous because I can't handle a screwdriver. I have trouble with this. I admire men who are mechanics, who are um, carpenters, right, because they can do these things. At, At 20 years old, I could not. And that's why it's been my philosophy, if you can't be handy, to be handsome. Right? And so, and so, we had a conversation this morning. She told me all the things I couldn't say. So, so here I am at 20 years old. I got this barbecue grill in our living room. And it took me hours. Like, I'm not talking, like five hours. And then an amazing thing happened. When I was done putting the grill together, this was so kind. They gave us extra parts, like five or six extra parts for this grill. And this is fantastic. What good guys they are. They must have known that sometime, somewhere, these parts would be replaced. And the truth is, they weren't extra parts, and that grill never worked right ever, ever. The word of God is a lamp. It is a light, it is living, it is truth, it guides, it directs, it gives wisdom and joy, it protects, it sanctifies. Too many of us as believers, we we think of these 50 
men and the sons of the prophets and like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Elijah was there. Elijah knew. Elijah saw what happened. Elijah is the word of God, and yet you don't trust it. How foolish. But for many of us this morning, as we consider the word of God, which is alive, powerful, we continue to live our lives like people without steering wheels, people who never read the instruction manual. You know this morning that this Bible that we hold in our hands tells us how to live. Every one of us. This Bible tells us how to be men. Real men. I've been thinking a lot about this thought, about, and just bear with me, okay, ladies, we're going to get to you in a moment, but just give me a second. Because I don't think we even understand the magnitude of what a godly man can do in this world. A man who takes the word of God seriously, who loves Jesus Christ, who is willing to be like Christ in his compassion, his love, his character, his strength, his boldness, his tenderness. I am convinced this morning that one godly man who would be like Christ who would look at the Word of God and allow the Word of God to transform their thinking and their thoughts and their actions and their behavior, that man would not only change a family, but would change generations of people with the heritage that they leave. And we need godly men today who will be serious about the Word of God and say, Lord, as you speak and you tell me, Quit ye like men. Act like a man, no matter what the culture says. Be a man of compassion, of love, of strength, of wisdom, of character, of integrity. It would change our families, churches, communities. The Bible tells us how to be Christian men. It tells us how to be Christian women. Ladies, I don't know that you understand the power of a woman. I'm serious. She can terrify me. Terrify me. And her spirit and attitude makes me want to be a better man. There is something about a godly woman who loves Christ, who is more concerned that her character turns head than her clothing. Who has a sweet, godly spirit within, and everything that woman touches, everything is better. The Bible tells you how to live as a woman. And as a woman, everything you touch, everything, better and sweeter. The Bible tells us how to be parents. What has changed over the years? Because we'd all admit that our, our homes are in a mess. Maybe kids are changing. No, kids are just like you were. Bad, right? The the things that drive you crazy about your children, you mark it down. They're things that you did or you do. That, That doesn't change. What has changed is our parenting. Our parenting has changed. And the Bible tells us to bring up our children in the nurture, the admonition, the instruction, the training of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. 
fathers being the main uh, player in the idea of discipline, instruction, and teaching. We are losing our children today. And we act like people without a steering wheel. When we have a steering wheel, the Bible makes it clear how we are to raise our children. You know, the Bible tells us how to be church members. Church doesn't have to be dysfunctional. We are to do all the one another's, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, forbearing one another, praying for one another. It tells us how to be workers. This Bible tells you not to go to work watching when the boss or the supervisor leaves so you can take a break. This Bible tells you to work as unto the Lord. No matter who's watching, it has a word for those who are bosses or employers. To remember that you have a master in heaven. Be fair. Be men and women of integrity. Be honest. Give people what they deserve. Don't rip folks off. It tells us how to be citizens. Do you know that you're supposed to be an honest citizen? You're supposed to pay your taxes? You know you're supposed to pray for your leaders? All of them. Like even Trudeau? or Harper, or whoever, that we're to pray for our leaders, it tells us how to resolve conflict. To be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, not to answer a matter before you hear it. Consider yourself to be humble and spiritual. And listen, this idea fits all of us. The word of God is not just for the pastor, or the elder, or the deacon, or the Sunday school teacher. The word of God is for every one of us. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 5 says. Because the writer of Hebrews expects every believer, every believer to master the word of God. Right? This writer is talking to Jewish converts who are ready to turn around because persecution is really bad. And he says to them, listen to me, you as a member of the body of Christ, not an elder, not a deacon, are to master the word. Verse number 12 of Hebrews 5. And when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both evil and good. The writer of Hebrews tells us that spiritual maturity is growing in the word of God. So, if there's no growth in the word of God, your spiritual maturity is being hindered. hindered. As believers, I think we'd all say, Pastor Rick, you're right. The word of God is important. And I, I'm with you. We ought to follow and obey and do the word. And we would agree until the first time that the word of God says something in our lives that is difficult. I mean, really difficult. Like, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wife, reverence your husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Love your enemies. And we're all good with it until it's difficult, and then we want to opt out of it. 
I'm done with this. It's difficult. Or it's diametrically opposed to what I want. I know the Bible says this, but I feel, I feel, yeah, you feel. You feel with your hands. I got it. That's how it works. Feelings change. The ebb and flow of life, they change. It does not matter how you feel. We're not to opt out. Well, the first time, it doesn't work. And then we are done. Yeah, you said, be kind, tenderhearted. I tried that one time, and guess what? It didn't work. Yeah, brother, sister, it ain't going to work one time. It's not. If you think that's a magic pill, it doesn't work that way. It is sustained over time, obedience to the word of God. And we have dismissed God's word and wisdom, and we are using any other thing but the word for direction and guidance in our lives. And here's what's happening. It doesn't take rocket science. We are fragmenting all over the place. And this morning, we can keep on being the social experiments of our culture, keep reaping the devastating effects on our lives, our homes, our churches, and our nation, or we can choose to take the word that saved us seriously, strive to live by the wisdom, and let it settle us. My friend, this word will settle you. This word will give you direction. This word will bring you peace. This word will bring you joy. This word will guide you. This word will sanctify you. And we must commit to God's word. There have been people in our church, as I met with their family and dealt with their situation, there was nothing I could ever say to bring them peace or comfort or hope. Nothing. But the word of God does. It always does. Not promising the moon. I'm not saying this morning, just do what the Bible says and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's a lie. And who's ever telling you that lied to you. Jesus didn't say that. The disciples didn't say that. Paul didn't say that. A matter of fact, they said something different. But if I follow this word and I'm in trouble with men and right with God, I will be okay. I will always be okay. And so, just to follow up from chapter 2, man, alive. Okay, we got to get moving. Don't make me hesitate like that. Listen to the word. Follow the word. Trust the word. It guides our life. Now, in chapter 3, we see the story of these three kings, not the guys you're thinking about, but three different kings. It is the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. Look at verses 1 through 3. We're introduced again to Jehoram. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. Um, he departed not therein. So here we're introduced to Jehoram. He is a bad king, a bad king. He gave up great evils, but still clung, he was clinging to other evils nonetheless. Listen to me. Be careful in our lives. We think that I'll make a deal with God, and these bad things that are obvious, I'll get rid of. But some of these things that I know are bad, I will cling to. My brother, my sister, that is not faithfulness. 
That is not freedom. God expects from his people total fidelity. He expects you to do what he says and follow it without hesitation, without contingency plans. Why? Because you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. He's a bad king. Not only that, he's a bad theologian. Look at verses 10, 13. He says, And the kings of Israel, and the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them unto the hand of Moab. Jump down to verse number 13. And Elijah said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them unto the hand of Moab. It's interesting here that the king who had no time for God, who was evil and wicked, now all of a sudden he's a theologian and knows why God does what he does and who God is. This happens all the time in the world around us. Your people have nothing to do with God, can't stand God, they hate God, and all the good gifts they enjoy every day of their life, breath, health, strength, family, freedom, food, shelter. But the first time one thing goes bad, you know whose fault it is? It's God's. It's God's fault. How could he do this? It's all God's fault, right? Be careful who think they have God's sovereignty figured out. And sometimes these same people, something bad happens to someone, really bad, and they say, aha, see, God is judging them. And yet when you do the same thing, guess what? God's no longer judging. He's stretching me. He's, con- he's sanctifying me. He is refining me. Beware of folks who cite God's sovereignty to excuse or accuse others. God's sovereignty should lead us to worship and adoration. There is something very comforting in knowing that the God of heaven is still steering this ship. We have a friend that we've been praying for. His two sons were in our youth department back in Michigan. And um, he had some tests. His kidney was giving him trouble. He had some spots on his lung. They had surgery. His Kidney was cancerous. They removed it. They said the spots on the lung are nothing. It's okay. We're good. We rejoice. This was two weeks ago. He got a clear bill of health. Within days, they called him back and said, listen, the spots on your lung, stage four cancer. That quick. Greg's little grandson said to him, Grandpa, God's got this little child. The sovereignty of God caused us to rejoice, to worship, and adore that God's in control of our life. A bad king, bad theologian, but now watch this. He is beyond the help of God's word. And this is the point we'll conclude with this morning. As important as essential the word of God is, look at verse number 13. Here is a bad king, bad theology, and now he's beyond the help of the word of God. Verse 13, Elijah says, hey, listen, bad king, I want nothing to do with you. Go back to your mom and dad. And then in verse number 13, he says, I don't even want to look at you. Doesn't that sound like a mother? Right? A frustrated mom. You get out of here. I don't even want to look at you. Right? That's harsh. I mean, really harsh. Here is Elijah, the prophet of God, who says, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to deal with you. I don't even want to look at you harsh. No direction. 
No help. And remember, Elijah is the word of God. He is the representation of God's word. He says, no help for you. Why? Well, because this king is only seeking God's help when it's convenient for him and when he's in trouble. His idea for the word of God is this. In case of an emergency, break the glass. And if not, don't worry about it. Jehoram's attitude is that he trifles with God and his word. And there are many of us who want nothing to do with God's word until trouble comes. And when it comes, we really don't want the word. We want to escape pain and suffering and the trouble itself. We're not interested in the path of discipleship. We want the word of God for a moment, but not the long term. We want relief. We see this all the time in all of its tragic forms. Most of us fall short here. We are not lifelong learning and submitting to the word of God. We are not growing spiritually. We are not saturated with the Bible. We want it when the emergency happens, and then we grab for it. And here is Jehoram, who, who has no time for God, no use for God's word, and yet when he's in trouble, all of a sudden now, I'm a theologian, I need you. And Elijah says, Get out of my face. I have nothing for you. We must be careful. Do you know that Paul told the Colossians that the word of Christ is to richly dwell within them? Again, speaking to the church. Church, how well do you know God's word? Do you have a plan to learn God's word? Do you meditate upon God's word? Are you building up your life like an immunity? That over and over again, I have this, so when the problems come, I don't have to run and scatter because I already have the word of God stored up in the tank of my life. It's important. Jehoram just wanted the word of God for an escape. He didn't want to be discipled or disciplined in it. Now finally this morning, notice as we close, Jehoram doesn't deserve any benefits from Elijah or from God. None. He's made a decision. He's gone his own way. Not concerned about the word of God, God himself, the prophet. But he is given benefits. They actually win this battle. They have water for their armies and their horses. But he's given benefits. Why? Not because of who he is, not because of what he said, not because of his theology, but because he was standing next to one who was a descendant of David. Elijah says, I wouldn't talk to you. I wouldn't even speak. I wouldn't look at you. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, the line of David. This morning, let me remind you that every benefit that we enjoy, we do not deserve. As a believer in Christ this morning, the only reason that you enjoy any benefit at all is because you stand next to the descendant of David. Jesus Christ. And every benefit that we have this morning comes because of Christ. It is not my power, not my ability, not my righteousness. It's none of that. Every benefit is because of Jesus Christ. He became sin for you and me. He suffered. He bore the curse. He became unrighteousness and sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And just like Jehoram, we have no right, no access, no benefits 
other than the fact that you and I, as believers who have repented and turned to Christ, we now stand not only next to him, we stand in him. And when God sees us, he sees the Son. He sees righteousness. He sees purity. He sees Christ in us. It's a beautiful thing. We don't even have the ability to obey his word. But because of Christ, we can. Ezekiel 36, the last scripture this morning. God talks about a new covenant. He says this, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. You shall be clean from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Will I cleanse you? A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. He later says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. This morning, here's the point. With Christ within, we stand in him. We have all the benefits of prayer and the word of God. And the truth is, even my desire to be in the word, to follow the word, to obey the word, the only way I can do that, the only way you can do it, is Christ living through us. And so, my prayer for you this morning, my prayer for myself is this. As we look to the word of God, understanding that because we are in Christ, we have access to the truth of the word, and because of Christ, we have the ability ability to love it, to listen to it, and to obey it. So this morning, believer, quit living your life without a steering wheel. You have one. Not only do you have one, the Spirit of God lives within you to, to illuminate the Word of God, to empower you to obey the Word of God, to, to help you be obedient in the Word of God. You must submit to this. Don't be foolish. Look to the Word. Live in light of the wisdom of God. Let's pray this morning.